You're listening to audio from Cibolo Creek Community Church. To learn more, visit CiboloCreek.com. Good to have all of you here today. So, if you were here last Sunday, you may remember that I asked you to do me a favor. I asked you if you'd bring your Bible. A number of you coming in this morning showed me that you'd brought your Bibles with me. If you forgot, that's fine. Bring it with you next Sunday. Um, some of you, you may have your Bible on, on your phone. That's cool, all right? Um, I thought that the start of this series would be a great opportunity for us as a church family to just get a little bit better of finding our way around our Bible. So for the next six weeks, bring your Bible with us. And um, here's, here's what we're going to do today. Um, I want you to find the book of Ephesians, okay? Now, here's the deal. Okay, relax, relax. Some of you, you've been going to church all your life. You don't even have, you could just open it up, not even open your eyes, okay? Don't show off, okay? Just, just find the book of Ephesians. Those of you who are brand new to all of this, I am so glad you're here, all right? And here's what I ask you to do. Just use the table of contents. Your Bible has a table of contents. Most likely, it's divided into two sections. It's divided into like an Old Testament and a New Testament. You're gonna be looking in the New Testament section, and it's gonna be about in the middle of all the books. Here's how it's spelled. I want you to find the book of Ephesians, all right? And then... Here's what I'm going to ask you to do. Just slip a piece of paper or pen or something in there. You can stick your finger in there if you want and hold it for a little while. But we're going to take a little while before we get to the book of Ephesians, all right? So just mark it some way so that it'll be ready to go. In fact, if you have your Bible, some Bible's got like this fancy piece of uh, bookmarker in it. You can just put that right in there. So we good? Everyone know what the plan is? All right, book of Ephesians. And uh, we'll come back to that in a few minutes. I'm excited about this. Some of you, this is like a brand new thing. This is good. All right. So um, we just completed a series of messages last month on the topic of following Jesus as an adventure. So maybe one of the ways that you could look at this new series is the invitation that we as an entire church family are going to go on an adventure. We're going to explore something over the next six weeks we've never explored before in any kind of detail here at Sybil Creek. In fact, I've never done a series of messages on this particular topic before, so we're going to just go on an adventure together, and we're going to figure out some answers to questions, and we're going to explore some things that, I'll just give you a heads up, are a little uncomfortable. We'll take some time to get there, but um, this is a brand new series of messages, and I I'm really excited to share it with you because it's some things that I'm discovering um, are really, really important to our lives and also to our understanding of what it means to be a church. Now, if you have ever built a house, had a house built for you, if you've ever um, moved into a new house, maybe it was several years old, but it was new to you, or if you've ever remodeled a home extensively, or you knew somebody that did, you might be familiar with the idea of what's often called a housewarming party, all right? Where you invite some family and friends to come over and see the new place. And here's what I know happened at the housewarming party that you've been a part of. People came at the time it was announced, start going through the house, maybe you gave them a tour, or maybe you just told them they were welcome to sort of wander around your new place. And here's what it sounded like. People were like, oh, wow, 
this is beautiful. We love your new home. We love the layout. This whole open concept is so warm and inviting. We love the concept. We love the, the architectural style of your home. It's just beautiful. And some people said, oh, we love your light fixtures. They are so sophisticated. Where did you get those? I really, really love your light fixtures. Somebody else would have complimented your faucets in your bathrooms or out in your kitchen. Like, these are really, really sharp faucets. We like those. Other people would have said, oh, we just love your windows and the doors. Let so much light in and your views are beautiful. You have beautiful windows and doors. Other people would have said, oh, just love the colors you chose for your new house. They're so warm. They're so bright and airy. We just, we just love your house. And lots of compliments about your beautiful new home. Here's what I know didn't happen at your housewarming party. Not a single person came through the door and said, could I see the foundation? I mean, do you mind maybe if we just pull up a little corner of the carpet over here in the room? Because I, I would love to see your foundation. Nobody said, do you mind if we, your, your house is beautiful, yes, but could we go out in the garage? Because I would love to see the foundation. Could, could we walk around outside? Because from what I could tell, this is one of the most spectacular foundations I've ever seen. Didn't happen, did it? Yeah, because very few people ever appreciate and applaud the foundation. About the only people who took the time to acknowledge the foundation were the guys that poured it and maybe your contractor, all right? And maybe they had a moment where they stood back and said, fellas, this has got to be the nicest foundation we've ever poured. This is really, really good work. But from there on out, hardly anybody ever notices the foundation. And yet, all of us would agree that the foundation is absolutely critical to everything about your house. The walls are built on it. The ceilings rest on it. The different stories of your house rest on it. All of the rock work of your house, your fireplace and your tile, all rest on that. The roof above rests on your foundation. And so your foundation is absolutely critical to your experience in your house. And if any of you have ever lived through problems with your house's foundation, you know your foundation starts to crack and you get plumbing issues and the walls start cracking and ceilings start showing you know, cracks in the ceilings and, you, and it's very expensive. Why? Because the foundation is so important. So here's what I want you to understand. This series that we're beginning today, it's very foundational. It's foundational to everything that we understand about what it means to be the church. And if we don't understand this foundational principle of what it means to be the church, then we won't get it right. And there'll be cracks in what it means to be a community of followers of Jesus. So it's really important to me that we lay a really good foundation. And that's what I wanna talk about these next couple of weeks. And I hope that, um, that you'll find it as interesting as I do. Now, it'll be on me to make it as interesting as possible. It's not as fancy as maybe other topics. It's not as fascinating as other subjects, but it is so important to everything that we're doing here at Sybil Creek. So without any further ado, let's just jump right into it. And I wanna introduce you to a term. 
Maybe you've heard this term before. Maybe you've never heard this term ever in your life. But we're going to explore this term over the next six weeks. And the term is redemptive community. Go ahead. Turn to your neighbor and say redemptive community. I love to watch people in exercises like this. They go, nope, not saying it. I'm not doing it. <laughs> Ain't nobody going to make me do anything. Uh-uh. I get it. All right. Redemptive community. Now, I'm going to tell you some things about this word, this term. It does not occur in the Bible. You will not find this arrangement of words, redemptive community, in your Bible. Yet, this concept, this idea, this theme runs all throughout the Bible, Old Testament and New Testament. In fact, it's a little like a puzzle. That if you read the Old Testament and New Testament and you pay attention to certain verses, you notice certain characters and certain storylines, and you start putting all those pieces together, what eventually comes into view is this beautiful portrait or picture of a redemptive community. It's like a tapestry, and there's all these threads that run through the Bible, and you turn it over, and you have this beautiful portrait or this beautiful portrayal of a thing called redemptive community. You want to know a big word? Thank you. Two, two people. Okay. So the two people interested. This is called, you ready? A meta-narrative. Yeah, pretty cool, huh? Meta-narrative. Throw that around at lunch tomorrow and people will be begging to come to your church, all right? Meta-narrative. Meta-narrative means this, the big story, the overarching story that's told. And what we find is that when we read the Bible, there's this overarching story of redemptive community. God's been doing it since time began. And so it's really important that we understand it. So let's, let's dive down into this meta-narrative. And um, I want to kind of give you the short story. Now, some of you, you would think, yeah, Paul, I've never heard of the redemptive community. And I go, yeah, you have. It just wasn't in those words. Because you've heard this. You heard this idea that thy kingdom come. Thy will be done down here on earth like God's will is done in heaven. See, that's redemptive community. There's things taking place in heaven where everything is perfect and ideal. And Jesus invited his followers, would you pray? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come on earth like your kingdom operates in heaven. That's redemptive community. You have heard of this before. It just wasn't different words. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. You see, salt has a preserving nature to it. It helps meat from going bad. And in the context, Jesus is helping his followers understand that our world in which we live, it's going bad. It's turning rotten. But we, as followers of Jesus, we can be the salt that kind of holds back the advance of evil in our world. That's redemptive community. You've heard it said this way, you are the light of the world. The context is that the world can be a very dark place, but followers of Jesus, you are the light and you shine hope and you shine help and you shine healing and this is redemptive community. Does that make sense? So you are familiar with it, you just sometimes don't read it in the exact same words like we're exploring. So let's take a little bit of time and let's explore this idea. And let's start with the easy one. The easy one's community. Every one of us, we, we have a general idea of what community is. Community is a gathering of people who share something in common with each other. 
So we talk about like the Fair Oaks Ranch community. We share a certain zip code together. We talk about the Bernie community, group of people who share a certain zip code together. And a lot of things that go are unique to our particular places we live. That's the community that we live in. You may hear from time to time things like the, the motorcycle community, group of people in the area who love motorcycles and tour on motorcycles and ride motorcycles and fix motorcycles and wear stuff that relates to motorcycles. That's the motorcycle community. Here in Texas, college sports are a big deal. So we hear, hear people say things like Red Raider Nation or Aggie Nation or Longhorn Nation. What is that? Community. Those are people who share in common a love for their particular college and their sports teams. And they even have, you know, they're like gangs. They have their own colors and they have their own signs, right? Okay? That's a community. So we know what a community is. So then let's, let's explore this idea of redemptive. It's an adjective. It has to do with bringing about redemption. And still, that word is not word, a word that we use a lot, so let's explore that one, redemption. Redemption generally has two meanings. It's used in generally two different ways. It's the action of gaining or regaining possession of something in exchange for a payment. So you use a coupon, a coupon to redeem something. It's, it's like exchanging the coupon to get the thing that you want, okay? Um, the second way in which redemption is used is restoring or recovering something damaged or broken. From time to time, you'll hear about like the, the redeeming story or the story of redemption. Um, Les Mis, you all know the, the, the musical Les Mis? It's a story of redemption where something that was broken or criminal gets restored to a different standing in life. So this is how rest, uh, redemption is generally used. And when we come across the idea of redemption, there's some words that it generally captures. You still with me? All right, so here's some of the words. It's about redeeming. It's about restoring something that's been um, broken or demolished or has lost its, its original luster. It's been restored. It's about reconciling something that's been a strange redemption is about bringing it back together again in friendship. It's about repairing, renewing. It's about remodeling. And what we find is that all through the Bible, from Genesis to Revelation, these themes come up over and over and over again in relationship to you and I as human beings and what God is up to in the world. The story of redemption runs all through the Bible. In fact, we could spend just a month of messages here at Cibolo just going, doing a series of studies on the word redemption and the theme of redemption in the Bible. But we're not going to do that. So today I'm going to give you the short version. This is the story of redemption in the Bible. There was a time, there was a time in God's history when nothing existed other than the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Eternity passed. And at some point in eternity passed, God the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit made a decision to create a universe and populate it with human beings. So God creates the heavens and the earth, Genesis chapter one, verse one. God creates the heavens and the earth, and shortly after creating the heavens and the earth, he creates the first two human beings, Adam and Eve, and they live in this place called the Garden of Eden. 
And here's what we know about Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden is that it was perfect. Why? Because a God who's perfect, that's all he can create. And this universe worked perfectly as God designed it. And these human beings, they related perfectly as God intended. But at some point in their history, these first two human beings, they made a critical decision to ignore something that God had said by way of instructions. And in ignoring God's instructions, they pushed God away and an enormous vacuum was created and in that void came sin or evil. And what we see through the unfolding of history is that sin or evil touches everything and when it does, it contaminates it. It confuses it. It destroys it and compromises it and makes it more difficult than God ever intended. And his design for everything is somehow lost or broken. And what we find after Genesis chapter 3 where the fall, where sin enters into the universe, what we find is that everything that God created is now destroyed in some way or another. It doesn't work the way that God intended. And we go through all the Old Testament And then we go into the New Testament, and then God decides that he's going to act on behalf of making things right again. And he sends his son, Jesus, God, come to earth in the person of Jesus. And anchored in all of history is a time and a place where God's redemptive game plan finds its meaning. And that is when Jesus went to the cross and he died as a payment for sin and its power over human life. And there, in that point in history, the cross secured the work of redemption. And from there on out, we see the work of redemption that God is doing through the power of the work of Jesus on the cross, which is often referred to as what? It's the gospel. It's this good news of God being at work in the lives of human beings through what Jesus accomplished when he died and paid for sin. And we go through the rest of history, what we call the New Testament, and we see God putting together a group of people who he would use to bring about redemption in people's lives through the work of the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ. And then what happens in the future? What happens in the future is a new heaven and a new earth where everything is restored exactly had it been created way back in the garden when everything was perfect. There's a new heaven and a new earth and an eternity where human beings will live the redemptive glory of everything being exactly like God had intended it originally. Did you follow that? That's the story of redemption. And it runs all through the Bible. So this is redemption, is Jesus restoring what was ruined by sin. Redemption is about Jesus doing a work to restore everything that's been ruined by sin. Well, we ask the question, well, Paul, what exactly has been ruined by sin? And here's the answer. First of all, the most important thing that sin did is that it ruined our relationship with God. 
What is the story of Adam and Eve? We find them in the garden communing with God. It seemed to be a daily conversation or presence that God would come and visit Adam and Eve. And then sin happens. They push God out. They make a decision to ignore the commands of God. And suddenly now, how do we find them? In Genesis chapter 2, they're hiding. Genesis chapter 3, they're hiding from God. And God comes to the garden and says, Adam and Eve, where are you? And he, and the, and he says, uh, God, we're... we're we're naked. God says, who told you you were naked? And why is naked suddenly evil or bad? Well, and what do they do? They start blaming each other. And it becomes really apparent that their relationship with God is not the same anymore. And all of history is a portrait of how a relationship with God is not what God intended it to be at all. Our soul, we as spiritual beings, it's been contaminated by sin. Book of Jeremiah tells us that our heart, it's deceitful and it's desperately wicked. I Meaning it's just inclined to move away from God and do that which what is contrary to how God intended us to live our life. And so we find that our soul has a hard time connecting with God. Why? Because there's this powerful influence of sin in our life. Our body and our mind has been impacted by sin. Our bodies and our mind doesn't work the way that it was intended by God because of the presence and the impact of sin on our life. And that's where things like insecurity and dysfunction and broken relationship and lust and greed and discontentment, all of that brews up because of the power of sin's impact in our life as human beings. Our society, everything about society has been impacted by evil and its presence in our life. Power has been impacted by sin. Leadership has been impacted by sin. Relational community or connection with one another has been impacted by sin. It's so interesting. So many people these days live in this, this mistaken belief that somehow the world's going to get better. We can just pass enough laws. We can create enough structures that somehow the world will be better. And I'll tell you that from the point of view from God is it will not because sin will always be present. Sin will always compromise and hamper whatever good we might strive for because sin is an ever-present power in human beings. Even the natural world doesn't work the way that God intended it to work. God did not intend earthquakes to happen. God did not intend tsunamis to happen. God did not intend for anybody to have to live below 40 degrees. I'm just saying, all right? <laughs> he did not intend that. That is not the way that he designed the world, but sin compromised everything about the natural world. So in short, everything was impacted by the presence and the impact of sin. Does that make sense? But here's the hope is that God created a community of people where all of that can be healed, all of that can have hope, all of that can know promise, all of that can be different. A redemptive community 
is a gathering of people who do what? Who share something in common, a faith in Jesus Christ. A redemptive community is a gathering of people through whom God uses the gospel of Jesus, his death, his burial, and his resurrection to restore what was ruined by sin. You say, that's a lot of words, Paul. Okay, so let me just give you one. It's called the church. The church is a redemptive community, a gathering of people who share in common a faith in Jesus Christ through whom God intends to use the gospel of Jesus to restore what was ruined by sin in our lives and in our society. It's called the church. And what I want us to understand, in fact, I want, it to under, I want us to understand it so well, it actually becomes a part of our language here at Sibylla Creek. It becomes a part of our culture. And that is this, that the church is a redemptive community. That's what God intended it to be. It's God's will that you and I, as followers of Jesus, that we live the kind of lives that are in a position to be used by him as messengers of the gospel of Jesus Christ to help bring redemption to our world. You, you are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. I love this quote. Part of this vision is the call of God's church to be a redemptive community. It is the call of, of to take broken, wounded individuals, to take broken, wounded individuals and in the presence of Christ's love, the presence of Christ's grace, his salvation and healing, to transform them into a powerful force of the kingdom of God. When you get your arms around what that means, suddenly church is no longer about this place I go to on a Sunday morning for an hour and a half. It's so much more than that. It's so much bigger than that. It's so much more than just these events that I go to from time to time to sort of punch a clock or to check the boxes. No, I become a part of what God is doing in the world. The church becomes a redemptive community for me and for you personally. It's a place where Paul Wilson and you, you can find healing and hope in those struggles that all of us face. It becomes a redemptive community to one another. To one another, like each of us in this room and each of us online, we need the redemptive power that each of us brings to the table as Christ as at work in our lives. We need each other for the redemptive power of the church to in fact work like it was intended. It's a redemptive community that has an impact on your neighbors, your friends, your classmates, your coworkers, strangers that you meet. God intended his church to move out into their neighborhoods and their communities, their workplaces, their schools, to be a messenger of redemption of what God can do in a person's life if they would place their trust in Jesus Christ. We are we're able to be a redemptive community to the whole world to restore things that are broken 
in lots and lots of different practical ways that the church can be involved in sharing its resources to make a difference even in other places on the opposite side of the universe. Well, maybe not the universe, the globe. Does that make sense? So, I wanna show you places in the Bible where we see the theme of redemptive community. So, if you'll come to me, come with me to the book of Ephesians. We're gonna look at chapter two. Again, those of you who may be new to this, just turn to the book of Ephesians. You're gonna see a number of larger numbers, one, two, three, four, five, six. We're looking for chapter two. Then those chapters are broken down into verses. We're gonna look at verses 11. I'm gonna read them to you. Now, I may not read every single word, not because I'm trying to yank you around, just trying to stay on theme, okay? But I gotta give you the context to what you're reading. This is a letter that the apostle Paul wrote to the first century church, Christians who lived in a city called Ephesus, And here's what you need to know, is that these people lived in a time of deep, ugly racial tension. It was racial tension that existed between Jews and Gentiles, and there's no other way to say it, that Jews hated Gentiles, and Gentiles despised the Jews. In fact, the Jews hated Gentiles so much that by religious belief, If they were to touch a Gentile, just touch them, they became contaminated before a holy God and that they would have to go through an entire ritual of bathing in order to make themselves clean again just for touching a Gentile. Gentile, uh, Jews lived in an era of spiritual superiority. They thought they were God's chosen people on earth and everybody else was inferior. Gentiles believed that they were intellectually and philosophically smarter than anybody else. Certainly these silly Jews that believe these things that they do. And so they just hated each other. And guess what? Jesus died for everybody. The gospel of Jesus Christ came to both Jews and Gentiles. And this whole idea of the church oh, wait a second, was a coming together of people who shared a mutual connection to Jesus. So that meant that the church, the church was going to be Jews and Gentiles living lives of love together. I can't begin to tell you how difficult that was in the first century. So the apostles had to write about it and talk about it and explain it. So we read this. In Ephesians chapter two, starting at verse 11, therefore, he writes, remember that formerly you who are Gentiles by birth and called uncircumcised, that's a derogatory term, that was like a a crude nickname, by those who call themselves the circumcised, verse 12, remember that at that time you were separate from Christ, You were excluded from the citizenship in Israel. You were foreigners to the covenants that God had made with the nation. And you were without hope, without God in this world. But now, 
But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far away, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. Christ, who he himself is our peace. That's redemption. Christ is the peace between these two groups of people who has made the two one. And he has destroyed the barrier. What was the barrier between them? Well, the dividing wall of hostility. By abolishing in his flesh the law and its commandments and its regulation, his purpose, his purpose was to create in himself one new person out of the two, thus making peace. And in this one body to reconcile both of them to God through the cross, that's redemption, by which he put to death their hostility. Then drop down to verse 19. Consequently, writing to the Gentiles, you are no longer foreigners. You're no longer aliens. But now you're fellow citizens with God's people on the foundation of the apostles and the prophets with Jesus Christ himself, the chief cornerstone. In him, the whole building is joined together and it rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him, you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. That is the church. That is a redemptive community. Now, we're gonna get tricky. You ready? You ready? I still got a few more minutes. You're going to move to your left in your Bible. So you're going to turn back. You're going to go to the very next letter going backwards, Galatians chapter 3. Galatians chapter 3. I can't wait till week three of this series where we are going to explore this passage and what it means to the world that we're living in right now. Look at this, verse 26. You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. Verse 26 of chapter three. For all of you who were baptized into Christ Jesus, you've clothed yourselves with Christ. That's redemption. There, now, watch this. Watch this, you ready? Watch this. Now, there is neither Jew nor Greek. We don't don't see these lines of demarcation when it comes to redemptive community. There's neither slave nor free. There's neither, whoo, there's neither male nor female. For you are all one in Christ Jesus. If you belong to Christ, then you are of Abraham's seed and you're an heir according to all the promise that God made to Abraham about the world being blessed. Just stop and let that sink in for a minute. That in a redemptive community, we don't act around things like class or gender or demographic or race because we're all one in Christ, restored back to the way that God intended it in the first place. All right, keep going back to your left. You're coming the next letter in the New Testament, the book of 2 Corinthians, we're gonna come to chapter five. I love this passage of scripture. 
2 Corinthians chapter 5, we're going to pick up at verse 17. I just listened to this, the life-giving words of the scriptures. Therefore, if anyone, who? Just the good people? Just the religious people? Nope, anyone, I don't care what you've done, how many times you've done it. If anyone is in Christ, that's redemption, he or she is a new creation. The old has gone and the new has come. This is restoration. All of this is from God who reconciled, that's redemption, reconciled us to himself. And how did he do that? Through Christ. And then look at this. Look at this church. And then he gave to us who have been reconciled. He gave us. He gave us the ministry of reconciliation. You are the light of the world. You are the salt of the earth. He gave to us the ministry of reconciliation. And what is that ministry? It's this message. God was reconciling the world to himself in Christ, no longer counting men's sins against them. And just in case you missed it, and he committed to us the recipients of reconciliation. He considered us the message of reconciliation. We are therefore what? I'm sorry? We are Christ's ambassadors. We're ambassadors of redemption. It's as though God were making his appeal through us. Remember? God creating a community of people through the power of Jesus Christ, restoring what is broken. We implore you on Christ's behalf, whatever you do, be reconciled to God because God made him, Jesus, who had no sin, to be sin for us so that we might become the righteousness of God. Isn't that amazing? You know who he's talking about? He's talking about you and me and us, the church ambassadors of the message that God's trying to get to the world that people can be redeemed by the power of the work of Jesus Christ and the gospel. So, so here's the deal. It gets real simple. The church is not a building. It's not stained glass and steeples. It's not pews and pulpits. The church is people. It's not even really an organization. It takes some organization when you get lots of people together, but it is really an organism. It's a living, dynamic thing that God's at work through. We're not a building and we're not an organization. What we are is we're a community. Cibolo Creek Community Church is a group of people that God intended for us to be used to be messengers of reconciliation and redemption to our world. That's you. That's not all the other people in the room right now. That's you. All of us working together to be what God intended when he designed the church. Does that make sense? Next week, if you come back, 
We're gonna explore what it takes for a community of people to be a redemptive community. Some of the rules of the road, if you will, some of the ways that we were intended and designed to work. And then in weeks three, four, five, and six, we're gonna dive down into some really, really culturally sensitive topics that have to do with the redemptive work of the church. But before we leave today, I wanna make this really personal to you. I'm gonna show you a list of words. It's a list of words about the impact of sin on us as human beings. And I just wanna ask, in the privacy of your own head and heart, I want you to ask yourself, are any of those words true of me right now? Maybe some of you, you're here this morning and you're feeling kind of lost. Like you, you really don't know your place in the world. You, you, you just, you're, you're struggling to know what it is to have meaning and purpose. And you're floundering. Or, or maybe, maybe today you're feeling really estranged, like really far away from somebody or something. Maybe you feel really far away from God. Maybe you feel really far away from your spouse. Maybe you feel really far away from like your parents or brother and sister. And it doesn't feel right to be that far away and not talking or getting along well. Or maybe, maybe you're feeling orphaned, like nobody likes me, nobody wants me. I, I have no purpose, no plan, and any larger picture of life. I'm, I'm just... I'm just all by myself. Maybe the best word to describe you right now is you're hurting. And you think you know why, you just, but what you're sure of is you hurt. And maybe that hurt comes because of a particular wound in your life. Something that happened to you when you were a child or a teenager happened to you because you're a woman, a wound that happened to you in marriage, and it hurts really, really badly. Or maybe, maybe you're here this morning and you feel enslaved. Something has got such control of your life, and you can't break free. It's some sort of compulsive behavior, some sort of addiction, and try as hard as you like, as oftentimes as you have, and you still can't be free of that. Alcohol, pornography, gambling, social media. You are trapped, and you would do anything. You would give anything to be free of it. Maybe the best way to describe your life right now is it's just broken. It's not working. Everything I try my hand at doesn't work. It doesn't pay off. It doesn't pan out. It never delivers what I hope. And I've been a pastor long enough to a community of faith long enough to know that on any given Sunday, there's at least a dozen people in the room who, if they were honest, they feel ruined. 
their entire life feels like a bust. They see no hope of ever climbing out of the hole that they're in, the mess that they've made. Did you find your word? Because if we're honest, all of us have one of those words. I have a couple of them. And what every one of us needs is a community around us that God has ordained that through the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ, we can be restored to the way that God intended us to live. That we can know what it is to be found, to be reconciled, to be adopted, to be helped, to be healed, delivered, repaired, restored, because that is what redemptive community offers to each and every one of us. Interested? Want to go on that adventure? I sure do. Let me ask you to stand together. Let's pray. God, we could play church the rest of our life and completely miss all that you had for us. Or we can understand your perfect design and through the power of the gospel at work in our lives, we can become a part of what you are doing in the world to each other. God, I ask, I ask for myself, I ask for these people in this room, I ask for every person who's joined us online today, that you would do a work in us, that you would change us in our understanding of what it is to be the church, a church, this church, Sibylla Creek Community Church, that we would become a vibrant expression of the dynamic work of the gospel in our lives, to each other, to our neighbors and friends, and to our entire world. I pray and I ask this in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.